Welcome to the Journey Church Podcast. It's our hope that the next few moments lead you closer to Jesus, encourage you to grow, and equip you to exist for those not yet here. If you enjoyed today's message, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that we can bring you fresh content every week as you continue in your walk with Christ. What's up, everyone? How you doing today? Doing good? Good, good to be with you if you're in Montgomeryville. We hope you're doing good as well. Hey, before we, we move on, I love to, to, um, I love to pay tribute and honor when honor is due. The Bible says that. Do you know that? And so anybody tracking with me? One of you. Okay. And so if you're a young person, you probably aren't because we don't live in an honoring society anymore. And so, but the Bible is clear on how God's heart feels about, about honoring. So anytime that we have a chance as a church, so a lot of you are extremely young. Anybody under the age of 30 in here? Hands up. And put your hands up. We hate you, right? Anybody? <laughs> so I'm 43 years old. When I started this church, I was 25, 25, 25 years old. And uh, when we started this church, my mom and dad, their church, people in their church, uh, helped us start this church. So if you're here right now, you're here as a result of that. And so uh, I shared a few weeks ago, Don and, uh, or not Don and Mickey, uh, they're here today. That's what I'm going to talk about in a second. Fred and Jeannie were here. They were part of us getting a building in Limerick. But before that, in 2005, People like Don and Mickey were a part of your life from a distance. You didn't even know if this is your church. And they are live in Florida now, uh, but their life is forever uh, intertwined with my life and, and your life. And so they're here today. They don't, they're not here a lot, but they were here last week, and I didn't take the opportunity to honor them. And I want to honor them t- today for who they are to me personally, my wife personally, but also to this church. Don and Mickey are right back here. Can you guys, can you guys see them? Can you guys just give them a hand? A huge, huge part of our church. We love you guys. If you are a part of anything significant, there's people that have led you to get to that point. And so you should always, always remember to go back and look and thank and pay homage and honor. uh, Because without people like that, I I wouldn't be the person that I am. And many of you wouldn't be the people that that you are. And so uh, we love you guys. We're thankful that you're with us today. I'm not going to try to embarrass myself since they're here. And so, uh, but we are in the middle of this sermon series, Axiom. At the end of today's service, we're going to do two things that are extremely important uh, at, at church. We're going to take up communion. So hopefully you got one of these when you walked in. If you didn't get one, if you put your hand up, we'll get you one. And the other thing is we're going to have people in the front available for prayer. And so we're going to spend some time just taking our request to the Lord. It's a very biblical thing. If you're, if you're stressed, if you're, if, you're, if you're struggling, if you're worried about something, here's what the Bible promises. The Bible promises that God is in control. Did you know that? Okay, man, you guys are going to be rough today. Like, you're acting like the 8 o'clock service. And I saw some of you that usually come to the 8 o'clock service come to this service. Don't you dare mess this service up for me, right? God, God, so I'm not even going to ask you again because you're going to be like that. God is in control. And so if you are going through something, he's trustworthy, you take it to him and you leave it there. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to take our request to the Lord. We're going to pray together. There's going to be people available at the end. We're going to have an awesome time in God's presence as we end out this service today. If you were here last week, I told you uh, we're going into summer. Uh, officially for us, 10 weeks. We're in week number two. We're going to take you through a 10-week sermon series called Axiom. Axiom. And Axiom is all about digging into biblical truths uh, that Jesus taught that you can take to the bank. You do this, this is how it'll work out. You live like this, this is what will happen. Jesus came that you would have life and have it to the full. We want you to live purpose-filled, passion-filled, direction-filled life. And so last week I taught you the golden rule. And I said, Jesus said, do unto others you want done to you. And so we're going to be what we want to see in our lives. We're going to begin to position ourselves, our attitudes, our demeanors, what we give in a, in a way that we are prepared to get what we're asking God to bring to us. We're going to be what we want to see. Today I'm excited to teach you uh, this next axiom. Uh, I told you last week we're going we're to teach you one, but I'm not there yet. I got stuck in, in a different part of scripture. Uh, I want to teach you an axiom that is super, super significant and important. So we have any golfers in this place? Golfers, put your hand up if you're a golfer. Golfers, come on, golfers. Golf is one of those sports you can lie about. Even if you're bad at golf and you golf, you can call yourself a golfer. Anybody golf? Come on. So, Somebody like, I don't want to put my, right? And so this isn't my golf club. I bought this from Dick's yesterday in the youth section because I'm not a golfer, right? 
Uh, it was $24. It was the cheapest one. I don't know if it's a ladies golf club or a men's golf club, but it's a golf club. And so don't send me an email making fun of me. Uh, it's a golf club. I, when I was 25 years old, I picked up golfing. And so golfing, um, when I was 25, it was expected of me. I was a pastor in Oklahoma. We prayed for people, we wore ties, and we golfed. That's what we did. And so my pastor was an avid golfer. Like, he golfed three, four times a week. Um, my mom and dad, at that point, they, they, they worked a schedule at their first, at when they were pastors. So I was used to, like, you know, eight to five, you go and work in the office. His schedule was different. He would golf a lot during the day. You would go to the church at nighttime. He would work late hours. He kind of just, he, golf was part of his life. And so, and he had a habit of inviting me to go golfing. And so I thought to myself, I should probably get some golf clubs. And so I told you the story before I went to a golf store, purchased some golf clubs, stuck them in my trunk. I didn't have money for golf clubs at that point. And I wasn't married yet to my wife, uh, but we were getting ready to get married, so we were making financial decisions together. And uh, I didn't ask her about the golf clubs because I knew she would say no. And so I bought them, I stuck them in my trunk, and I just planned at some point to reveal that I bought golf clubs. She found them one day, uh, sneaking around in my car, and so opened the trunk up, asked me what those were, you know, you ever, you ever get asked a question where you don't know what to say? And I was like, those are golf clubs. The golf stores let me try them out, right? which wasn't true. <laughs> I'd had it for two months, and so we talked about lying before and don't do it, right? And so, uh, so I had golf clubs. And I don't know if those golf clubs were cursed or not because I lied to my wife. Uh, so the more that I played golf, the worse that I got. Anybody ever been there? Like, when I was a teenager, I used to go to Waltz's farm, and I would go out and drive balls. And I, I promise you, I would just get up like Happy Gilmore, woo! And don't worry, I got, I'm not going not gonna to lose this, right? I would just swing at this golf club, right? Never played before. But it felt like when I, when I wasn't working on it, they went far. Then I started watching the golf channel when I was a 25-year-old man and investing in spe, you know, special clubs. Golf is one of those things you just keep spending money on, thinking if you get better equipment, you'll be a better golfer. The more money that I spent on golf clubs, the more that I went Titleist and Callaway and all these things, these special wedges you drive out of you know, grass that's six inches on a windy day, right? Like all these things, the worse that I got. I got so bad at golf. By the time I was 25, I moved back to Pennsylvania. I quit. I have golf clubs in my, in my house, and uh, one time my cousin, one of my cousins was doing a golf tournament, and I gave him my golf clubs, and he said, when do you want them back? I said, never. I hate golf, right? The more that I played, the worse that I got. I would swing with all my might, aim at that ball. Keep, I was board town baseball. What do you do board town baseball? You keep your eye on the ball. You aim, you keep your eye on the ball, you swing, you know, you, you, your shoulders raise, you swing through. So I'm, I'm doing that with the thing. I'm keeping my eye on the ball. I'm swinging. I got so bad on my drives, the ball would go up three feet and just roll, right? <laughs> it was embarrassing. I stopped playing with every club except for my pitching wedge. At one point in my golf career, I would take my pitching wedge out off the driving range and I would just hit it because I was the only one that I could hit, 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 hit straight. And here was the main problem in my golf swing. I aimed at the ball, but if you ask golfers, real golfers, to tell you the point is not to aim at the ball. A good golf swing just kind of takes the ball with it. And here's the thing about a good golf swing. It doesn't involve just getting your hands right and, you know, going backwards. It also involves this one thing that I'm not good with. It involves this end of this golf swing. Anybody know what the end of the golf swing is called? The follow through. You ever watch a golfer, a real golfer, and they get up and they're just all cocky and they just get in there and they, they go through and they hit it and it's like they're just like, <laughs> right? They're posing. You're like, dude, are you serious? You're not Babe Ruth out here, right? But good golfers, that's, that's where their, their swing ends. Backswing and then, and then it's good. You hit the ball, but then it, it ends in there. Everybody tell me what it ends in. The follow through. They actually said nine out of ten golfers don't understand the significance of the follow-through. That's why they're not that good at golf. They want get up and smash it, but they have a hard time following through. Here's what's interesting about the follow-through. Spiritually, uh, what I've noticed for, for Christians, if you said give me a percentage of people who are good at following through at things, I would say it's about 10%. Most people I meet, they're great at the backswing. Right? I'm going to get married. What's the problem? The follow-through. We're great at making the announcement. We are awful at accomplishing the achievement. You ever notice people, uh, you know, the, the, the baby announcements? I'm going to have a baby, right? Here it is. Here's the pink or the blue. I'm going to have a baby. No, what you're really going to do on the follow-through is you are inheriting a responsibility for the rest of your life. 
Sounds like a fun, 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 fun achievement or announcement. It's a responsibility. I'm going to get married. That's right. For the rest of your life, you are going to be responsible for somebody else that you are not in control of. Go. Hey, 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 hey. I'm going to start a business. You ever been somebody, meet somebody? Everybody was starting businesses a couple years ago. It was called a pyramid scheme, right? It started a business. Had a great opportunity. Right? Everybody's going to get a BMW, something like that in their life. It's a follow-through. It's, it's the, the business savvy. It's the teaching culture and leadership and making difficult decisions. You're going to, I'm going to start a business, but the follow-through. Hey, what happened to that business? Man, it was tough. Here's the problem with follow-through. I want you to write this down. Axiom number two. Your follow-through will follow you. Your follow-through will follow. Your ability to follow through, it will stick with you for your life. It will take you to where God is calling you to be. Vice versa, your inability to follow through, you'll wonder, why am I not getting anywhere? Why does my ball keep going left? Why does it feel like I'm getting worse? Because it's your inability to follow through that is following you into the, into the future that God has for you. Your follow through will follow you. And here's the problem. If you gave me a dollar for every time I met somebody who told me they were going to do something and didn't end up doing it, I wouldn't be a pastor anymore. I'd be retired and it wouldn't be in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. I'd be on the beach somewhere, right, living in a beach house based on the money you gave me because you quit what you said you were going to do. Your follow-through will follow you. Let me give you an example from my own life. Is, uh, my, follow, my, 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 my goal in my life years ago, I moved, to, I moved to Pennsylvania. I wanted to start a church. That's what I was called to do. And so I was going to start a church in 2005. Uh, my first week of my, my life here, I got lost in Phoenixville. And so I have another sermon at some point. I want to encourage you that sometimes your detours, what feels like a detour, is actually God taking you to your destiny. That's another sermon. And so I got lost in Phoenix. I've never been here before. And uh, I was trying to start a church. I got lost in Phoenixville. And something happened in my heart. I, got, I fell in love with a city I'd never been to before. Like it just, something started stirring in me. And so when, as the years passed and we got a building in Limerick, we immediately moved to, to Phoenixville. We got, we got out of Boyertown and moved away from the, the pink carpet we were in and we moved to Phoenixville, right? And we lived in Phoenixville and I started asking God, God, I want to be part of building a large, influential church in this city that turns it upside down. I, I, I want to be a problem for sin in this city. That's what we've been praying for for years. I, I want our schools to be different, our businesses to be different. I want the businesses that are filled with sin and, and taking people far from you, I want them to have to close because there's no economy in this town for them because it, we are so close to God and his heart. Like That actually happens in scripture. You can actually turn a town upside down. I want to be, be a part of that type of church. If you're a part of this church, that is the goal of, of our church. We're not running from culture. We're here to mess it up. You know, are, you, are, you, are, you, are, you, are you understanding what I'm saying? We're here to change things. We're not in a bubble staying away, waiting for the rapture to come. We're bringing as many people as we can to Jesus Christ, right? We're going into the gates of hell because the Bible says the gates of hell cannot stand against Jesus' church. And so we're not afraid. We're not a fear. We're not back. We're not playing prevent defense. We're not zone. We don't play zone at Journey Church. We're man to man. And so that's been my goal. So 2008, we got who moved here. We're taking walks. Okay, we're going to start this church we're gonna pray for this church we're gonna we're gonna follow through we're gonna do that we did that for 12 years and then COVID hit COVID hit and I was in that backswing and I was I was coming through with that follow-through and when COVID hit this town was nuts you lived here maybe you didn't even realize it because you were in the nuts bubble right but if you left and went anywhere else, if you went south, right, if you, you ended up, I was in, in, in Myrtle Beach at that point. I went to Delaware at one point in the, in the summer. I went to Boyertown, to Freight Con's Orchard one time. I realized something is messed up in Phoenixville. School started. The schools were all weird, and we were double masking and bubbling it up, and like all this stuff was going on, and I'm like, how much longer? Are my kids going to have to wear masks forever? Am I going to have to smell my own breath for the rest of my life? Right? And I remember thinking to myself, I got to get out of here. And here, here, I'm in the backswing, and I'm, I'm waiting for God to do something influential in this church, and, and now, now as I'm swinging, it's starting to cost me something. And let me be honest with you. In that 2020, I was really close. I was on Zillow at one point looking at houses in Boyertown going, I'm going back home. I can't do this any, anymore, but I had to remember the follow-through. What's the follow-through? God, I want you to do something incredible. I want to be influential. What's going to get me there? The, the follow-through. And so here, here's what I can promise you. In, in, in all of the churches in this area, I will tell you, I'm the least educated and qualified to be a pastor of all the churches. 
I promise you. I don't know Greek. I don't know Hebrew. I, I don't know how to read, read a lot of things. I read. Sometimes I'm like, I don't even know what this means. But I tell you what I, what I promise you that I'll have, that most people that you meet won't have, especially in churches, is I'm going to follow through with what God has called me to do. I, I'm not just going to, hey, this is what I want you to do, God. Here, here's the dream. I'm going to follow through with it. And I promise you, unless God visibly, physically uh, uh, speaks to me and says, you've got to move, and that's, I don't know if that's ever going to happen, that at some point I'm going to be in Phoenixville and they're going to have to pry my, my wrinkled, liver-spotted hands off this pulpit. And it, it's happening already, right? Like, it's, like I, I, you're gonna, I'm going to be in the follow-through. I'm telling you, your follow-through, what's it going to do? It's going to follow you. Let me, let me just show you in Scripture what, what I mean. Uh, we're going to go to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to stay here for the next few weeks. Matthew 5, Matthew 6, Matthew 7. So Jesus starts his earthly ministry in a city called Capernaum, a town. And uh, it's where Peter's from, Andrew's from. It's a fishing town. The Sea of Galilee is right by the, the city or the town of Capernaum. Jesus starts here. He picks, he picks his first disciples here, and he chooses to preach one of his most foundational, significant sermons that he preaches in his earthly ministry called the Sermon on the Mount. He preaches it on a hill, uh, and over, on the hill, overlooking the hill, you, off in the distance, you can see the Sea of Galilee. It's a beautiful setting for Jesus to preach. Many people come to listen, and he spends three chapters uh, speaking spiritual gold to a people that had been raised in a very stingent, confined spiritual relationship with God. They're very religious. And so what Jesus is doing is he's attacking their religious mindset because he wants them to know they're going to be able to have a relationship with God through what he's about to do. So when people say Jesus was passive, you don't start your earthly ministry with the things he's doing because he is there to mess up the status quo. So he begins to speak. We're going we're gonna to spend a lot of time here, but I'm going to show you something. In Matthew chapter 5, he goes ag against religion over and over again. He'll say stuff like this. You've heard it said. So let me give you one of the areas that they, that they did. They were very religious. And uh, if they made a promise or a vow to God, right, if they made a promise, they said they're going to do it, and they spoke it in God's name, then they had, biblically speaking, they had to follow through with it. That's what they had to do. So if they said, I'm going to do this, and I promise God I'm going to do this. That was binding. Like you could not get out of it. But here's what they were doing. They were doing what we used to do when we were, we were kids. When, when you would say, I promise I'll do that. But then you didn't do it. What would you say? My fingers were crossed. You're like, that's so stupid and that's so immature. Okay. They were doing that though. They were saying stuff like, well, I didn't say the name of God in my promise. And so like, you know, I borrowed their donkey and I promised them I wouldn't, you know, kill it. I would bring it back. But I didn't promise it in God's name. I said I was going to get married to them. I, I promised that in my backswing. I'm going to marry them. And I'm going to stay with them through thick and thin, through better or worse. But I didn't say it in the name of God. And so I have my fingers crossed. And so technically, I can break that. I said I was going to pay that debt off. I took that loan out. I took, it was risky, right? It was a high, high, high interest level. And it was risky. And the business was risky. And it's falling apart. But technically, technically, that bank is corrupt anyways. And they're not losing any money. And they have insurance for that. So I don't have to pay it off. And plus, I didn't say I was going to do it in God's presence. You see, you see where they're going? So Jesus shows up. And he's like, you guys are morons. This is dumb. Like the way that you're acting doesn't look anything like me. And so he says this again. You've heard it said in verse number 33. You said people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill it to the Lord, the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven for it's God's throne. So here's what they were doing. They weren't swearing by God, but they were swearing by heaven. I swear to heaven. And Jesus says, hey, by the way, that's where God lives. That's his throne, right? Then he goes on to say, or by earth, for it is his footstool. Or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And don't even swear by your own head, right? For you cannot make one hair white or black. All you need to say simply is yes or no. Anything beyond that comes from the evil one. I could do a whole sermon series on the power of no, because some of you can't say it. I love telling people no. No, I can't do that. Why? Because I'm not Jesus. You want to help me? Not really. Why? Because I don't. <laughs> you ever been there? 
What's better saying no than saying, yeah, 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 call me if you need me. Then they call you. You already know you don't want to help them. You just don't answer your phone, and then you tell them, I didn't see my phone ring. Bro, you're on your phone 24 hours a day. He's taking, listen, he's saying, listen, if you want to look like me, if you want to accomplish what I'm calling you to accomplish in your life, then your follow through on what you're saying is important. He's really talking about integrity. That's what, that's what integrity is. Integrity is when you say something, uh, when you commit to something, when you say you're going to do something, that you follow through. Now, one, one thing I noticed about the word integrity that I've never noticed before, there's a word in the middle of integrity. Did you, did you see what it was? Well, I wanna, first service, I said, let's spell integrity. It was a disaster, right? <laughs> so you're a little bit more awake. Anybody know how to spell integrity? What, what does it start with? N. They, they couldn't even get Y for a service. Let's do it real slow together. Ready? Real slow for somebody in the back. They're like, I need. Ready? All right, stop. I-N-T. What's the next four words? Right? Why? Sorry. That was the next. That was, that was supposed to be, right? <laughs> I should have said after E, right? And so... Do you notice the word that's in there? What word is it? Grit. Grit. I never noticed that before. The middle of integrity is the word grit. Grit is what holds integrity together. Grit is what enables you to fulfill promises. Grit, and here's why. Because oftentimes, this backswing's easy. I'm going to rip this ball. It's to follow through after you're into the journey where nobody's watching, nobody's celebrating, nobody's paying attention, nobody's looking at you, no, no, nobody, no, there's no parties to be thrown, that you're in the middle of what you said you were going to do when you feel all alone, when it's dark, when, it's, when, it's, when, it, when, when, when you feel hopeless, when you're out of answers, when you don't know what else to do or turn to, and you're in the middle of it, and you want to quit, the grit is what helps you to follow through. If you don't have grit, you'll always quit. Grit is in the middle of it. So let me just give you a few what I would call the grit of integrity, your follow-through. Some of you are like, God, do it. But every time that he begins to do something in your life, you quit. You bail out. You run. You, you, you don't keep going. You don't finish the work. Your follow-through is following you. Let me give you a few thoughts on the grit of integrity. Number one is this. They're real simple, real simple. First one is this, is when you start something, finish it. When you start something, when you start something, years ago, years ago, uh, there was this whole phenomenon going on in, 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 in physical uh, world, the physical world, the athletic world. It's called P90X. You guys remember that? <laughs> How many of you bought P90X? Come on, put your hand up. Right? The one of you. Yeah, right, right? And so, right? P90X. I remember I would, I would have my friends, right? They'd be like, yeah, this, we, we got P90X. I'm going to invest in P90X. And I had never met somebody who finished P90X. Some people are like, I finished it. I was like, no, you didn't. Well, you judge me. I'm like, no, I'm looking at your body, right? Your body don't look like you did it. You might have played it, but when you were playing it, you were eating Lay's potato chips. And you said that you finished it, but that you didn't. Here's why you didn't finish it. Because it sucked. A few years ago during 2020, we were, they kept closing stuff down in Phoenix. So finally I was like, let's just get some weights for the church. And we'll exercise here. We'll move out the conference area and we'll put weights there, right? And so we moved out the conference area, put on the other side, bought some weights. And guys started coming from the church. And uh, Parker started coming. You guys know who Parker is? Parker's like golden retriever. He's just like, <laughs> right? Like, you know what I'm talking about? Just excited to be alive, always like that. Like, you got to have people like that in your life, right? And so, just a golden retriever. So, Parker was coming, and he was working out with us and lifting, and he had a great attitude. He's one of the best guys in the world to lift with, right? And so, and then on Fridays, we want to switch it up. We got to do something. We got to get some, got to get some, uh, like, uh, some ex real exercise in. What's it called? Like, uh, cardio, right? You got to get cardio in. And so, he's like, I'm going to start bringing P90X with me. We'll go into the kids' room. We'll put it on the screen in there. Nobody's in there anyways. Put it on the projector screen, and a six dudes are going there we do p90x together right and so we i was like all right so he brings p90x and we did it one week and then we did it one more week after that and the third week he tried to bring it in and i said parker you're not invited anymore 
we're in there doing P90X. He's like, hey, hey, this is amazing, right? Like, it's amazing and doing all stuff. And I'm like, this is awful. How many minutes is there left? This is the warm-up. This is the dumbest thing in the world. I don't even care if I'm in shape, right? Like, and it, it's hard. And so everybody quits. And most of us, spiritually, that's, that's life. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invest in this. I'm going to accomplish this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to have a good marriage. I'm going to have a great family. I, I'm going to start this business. I, I, I'm going to lose this weight. I'm going to get healthy you know, spiritually. I'm going to get past this mental block in my head. I'm going to put the work in. I'm going to get up early, and I'm going to spend time with, with, with God. And then you, 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 in the backswing, it's real easy. Tell everybody you're going to do it. It's the follow through. That, that's the problem. In fact, uh, David Lloyd George, in the first service, I said, I don't know who that is. An older guy in our church said, that's my uncle. This guy said this, right? He, I said, I don't, know what he, I don't know what he did. Apparently, he was a prime minister in England at some point. Don't know if it's good or bad, but here's what he says. He says, there is nothing so fatal to character as half-finished tasks. In fact, uh, I think it looks nothing like Jesus when you don't finish what you say you're going to do. You know, Jesus struggled with that at one point at the end of his life. He, he, he's going to the cross. He knows it's going to be awful. And... Uh, He's praying at the at his last night before he gets crucified and put on trial, crucified. And he's struggling with, with what's about to happen because he knows how painful it's going to be. He's, he's heard the, the cries, the screams. He's seen people get beaten. And Jesus prays in Matthew 26, going a little further, he falls on his face to the ground. He prays, my father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. The Bible says he gets on the cross, and he says these words, these powerful words. He says a lot of words on the cross, but he says this one sentence. He says, it is finished. He's struggling. I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can finish this. I don't know if I, but he says, no, no, I'm going to go do it. Why? Not as your will, not as my will, but as your will be done. In, in other words, if you're thinking about quitting, you're going, I don't know if it's God's will, if he wants me to finish, finish this. Listen, if God called you to it, he wants you to finish it. They, they, don't, don't be, a, you know how Christians do, they're like, yeah, I just feel like God called me somewhere else. What the, what is that? <laughs> Did he pick up your AT&T and dial you, and it was like 933, because that's the number from heaven, you picked it up. Like, we use that all the time. God called, and I know we do, because I have friends, every three years, they're like, God's just calling me somewhere else. I'm like, what happened? Well, it's been tough. I'm like, well, you know, God doesn't always call you from toughness, from tough. You know, he doesn't always call you from discomfort. You know, he doesn't always remove you when stuff is, is difficult. Sometimes he keeps you there so that he can mold you and accomplish something in your life. And so if you start something, everybody tell me what you're supposed to do. Finish it. Finish it. Number two, number two. When you make a promise, keep it. You ever notice how we have uh, concocted our way out of promises as, as if it's okay? Like we, we have a whole, a whole way to do it. Step one, right? Step one to break a promise. Before you break a promise, make sure you say something positive first. Right? I'm about to break this promise, but at least I tried. I'm about to break this promise, but I did this for like, you know, three weeks. I, I did it. I'm farther than I was last time. Before you break a promise... Say something positive. When you're about to break a promise, try to make yourself sound like the victim. You ever been there? Every person in marriage problems that I talk to, they're the victim. Every one of them. Every person. My life is awful. This person's awful. You don't know. You don't know what it was like. Yes, I do, right? Because when you took this follow, this backswing, I wanted to tell you in the follow-through, for you to finish what you're about to do, it's going to be a lot of work. Love is, I know, I know that country singer says love's going to see you through, but that's a lie. Sometimes it's tears. Sometimes it's just sticking it out. Sometimes it's, 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 it's laughter that sees you through. Sometimes it's silence that sees you through. So, some, sometimes it's just straight faith that sees you through. Listen, if you want to follow through in that thing, you got you to keep going. You, you spoke a promise. You got to keep it. Let me, give you, let me give you a few more. When you break a promise, never, never lock yourself into the next promise. You break a promise, don't lock yourself into another promise, and assure everyone that breaking your promise is the right thing to do. Let me, let me ask you something. Is there one verse in Scripture where God makes a promise and is like, this time I'm going to break it? The Bible says all his promises are yes and amen. So if you make a promise, God is not okay that you're not following through with it. 
He's not going. I knew it was bigger. You bit off more than you can handle. If you make a promise, keep your promise. Integrity is doing what you say you're going to do. My dad taught me this. I cannot get my dad's voice, face, and body out of my mind in this moment. Like we had this conversation. I was in college. I wasn't going to class. I had all these excuses. I wasn't paying my car payment because I had a girlfriend. She was expensive. You don't understand dad, right? And I had all these excuses and my dad sat me down. He looked at me and he was super kind, way kinder than I would have been with my kids. And he said, listen to me. If you want to be a godly man, shut your mouth. He said, do what you say you're going to do. And he just dropped the mic on me just like that, just pop, walked away. In every situation, when you make a promise, come through. Do what you say you're going to do. Number three, number three, when you can cut corners. Here's, here's a really deep one for you. When you can't cut corners, don't. <laughs> Sometimes people, when I talk about integrity, I always, I always go to the same example, pushing the cart back. You know what I'm talking about? Push your cart back. Push your cart back. Take your cart back. Take your cart back. Take your cart back. People are like, why are you harping on carts? Carts, why is that such a big deal? Where is that in the Bible, right? And uh, here's, here's, here's why. How you do the smallest things is how you do everything. We're going to learn that principle in a couple weeks. You, wanna, you want more? You got to be faithful with the small things. You're faithful with the small things, God can trust you with bigger things. Most of us aren't faithful with the small things. And so the cart is one of those small things that we don't handle that keeps us from God giving us more. And so he, here's, here it is. When you could cut corners, don't. John Wooden, remember the old coach? He used to say, the true test of your character and your integrity is what you do when no one is watching you. It's making the right decision even when no one will even notice that you make the right decision. Here's the problem with, with our online social media world is we are convinced it's only important if other people see it. So our vacation is only important if somebody else sees it. If I'm hanging out with my kids, it's only important if somebody else can do what? It's not about the kids. And it's, it's, can somebody see, does somebody see me doing this? And so what happens is in our world, because we live like that, then we assume it's not important when we do things and we act certain ways and we don't come through on our promises and we don't do what we say we're going to do and we don't finish the task. Well, nobody saw me make that commitment, right? We'll do that. I made a commitment, but I made it to myself. And so it's not even hurting anybody else. So we'll cut corners. And I'm just telling you, if you want to become all that God has called you to be, when you could cut corners, don't. In fact, I had a verse in, in, your, in point number two where Paul talks about uh, taking up an offering for, for uh, Jerusalem. And so if you don't know the Bible, uh, one of the biggest problems in the New Testament church is the church in Jerusalem was persecuted. They had nothing. So Paul started these churches all over, all over Europe. And one of the things they did is they, they raised money. They would go to church and say, hey, we're going to raise money to help the fellow believers in Jerusalem. They're being persecuted. So Paul went around. He did, you know, offering con con conversations and talks. And then he comes back around to, co to collect. We're going to collect what you said you were going to do, right? You ever want to see Christians freak out? Uh, one, one time when I was a new pastor, it was 2006, I was talking about integrity. And we did a missions uh, a missions convention in our church. We were going to raise money for missionaries. And so we did this missions convention. We took pledges. And then people were supposed to give over the next year to these, to these missions organizations. And uh, they would give the money to church and we would send it out. And so on April Fool's, I got out all those pledge cards. And I said, hey, they didn't know it was April Fool's. They didn't remember. I said, hey, uh, as, a, as a sign to see how much integrity our church has, I'm going to have you stand up in, if you're a part of this church. I'm going to read off your pledge. And then we're going to celebrate your faithfulness. People were like, because I know about 90% of them didn't give nothing after they said they were going to do it. Because they don't, we don't do what we say we're going to do. So this is what was happening. Uh, in Corinth, he went there. He's like, we're going to give to Israel or Jerusalem. They're like, yes, we're going to do this. Then stuff got hard. And so they started to back out. So Paul says, hey, hey, you want to have integrity? Let's, let's fulfill the promise. Let's do, I'm coming to collect it. Let's fulfill the promise. And then Paul tells them in 2 Corinthians 8, in his, on his own side. He says, hey, just so you know, when I leave here and I got all this money and I'm by myself and no one's watching, I want you to remember in verse number 20, I want to avoid criticism of the, of the way that I administer the liberal gift. So we're going to take great pains to do what is right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of man. Hey, I want you to know, I got all this money, but I'm not skimming any off the top. 
Every dime that came in for the church of Jerusalem, I'm taking right there. Nobody's going to be watching me, but I realize God's going to be watching me. When you had the chance to cut, you want to know why Paul is such a foundational part of, of, of the early church? Because of his integrity. You, you, you have the chance to cut corners, just don't. Remember, every, every moment of your life, God's eyes are on you. God's eyes are on you. Let me just give you one more thought, one more thought. When you face then a hard decision, so, so here, here's, here's what I would call hard decisions, the follow through. You're going to start something, the hard decision is what? I'm going to finish this. Um, you, you, you say something, the hard decision is I'm going to fulfill the promise. Uh, you have a chance to cut corners. I'm I'm not. I'm just going to do what I said I was going to do, right? And so those are all hard decisions. The next time you face a hard decision in your life, always choose God's way over your own. Remember the old old wristbands that you say, what would Jesus do? You remember that? Basketball players started wearing them. Rappers started wearing them. A few years ago, they tried to bring them back. It wasn't as cool the second time. And so uh, what would Jesus do? I still think that's an amazing way to live your life. In this moment, what, what did, what did Jesus, well, I know what he did in the garden. He could have quit, but he didn't. He was faithful to see it through. And had he not been faithful to see it through, I wouldn't be where I'm at today because he finished the work for me. So in every difficult decision that you face, before you make the decision, right, think to yourself, what would Jesus do? Let me, let me ask you. Let me just, let's just talk out loud. Do you think there's ever a moment where Jesus breaks a promise? Everybody? Come on, you got to preach with me. No. Is there ever a moment where he decides, you know what, I started this, it got too difficult, I'm, I'm not going to finish it? You think he ever cut corners? So if you, if you do what Jesus did, all of the reasons you have, cut corners, not do what you say you're going to do, not keep your promise, what happens to all those? They go out the window. And the cool thing is there's a promise in Scripture. And I love this promise. I've actually got stuck on this psalm over the last couple months uh, because, man, I, I, want, I want God to be near me, right? I want his presence to be with me. I want, like when people talk about the anointing of God, I want, I want the anointing of God. Like when I read about Moses in the, in the Old Testament, I'm like, I want to be like that. I want to be, I want to come away from my time with God. If you ever read the Old Testament and his face was glowing. I want to I become more and more and more like, the, like, like God. I want, I want people to see God in, in my life. And so the question is, how do you have that type of experience? How do you get in that club? And here's what the Bible says in Psalms 15. I've been stuck here for the last few weeks in my, in my quiet time. It says, Lord, who may dwell in your sacred tent? Who may live on your holy mountain? Those are two things. He's like, how can I get in that club? How can I be where Moses is at? How can I have that experience on the Mount of Transfiguration? How, how can I be close to you? And watch what he says. He says, the one whose walk is blameless, that's integrity, who does what is righteous, integrity, who speaks the truth from their heart, integrity, who tongue utters no slander, I'm going to keep going, who does no wrong to a neighbor, who casts no slur on others, who, who despises a vile person but honors those who fear the Lord, and I love this part, who keeps an oath even when it hurts, doesn't change their mind. I, I found that to be true. Sometimes you, you start something and then you keep doing what you're supposed to be doing and it feels like everybody else is cutting corners and getting ahead of you, right? But I'd rather suffer for doing what I said that I was going to do than be stuck in a cycle of inconsistency and irrelevance in my life. Never being who God has called me to be. Your follow through will follow you. It's all about integrity. What's in the middle of integrity? What's the word? What happens when you don't have grit? You're always going to quit. You, you, you will always miss the mark. You will never become who God has called and created you to be. Would you stand to your feet all over this house? And would you bow your heads and close your eyes? We're going to go into a time of, of communion. It's a beautiful opportunity um, to spend just a moment with our thoughts and our uh, hearts on Jesus. Before we do that, though, um, the Bible commands us to not take communion in an unworthy manner. What does that mean? Well, you might misunderstand that. You might think it means if you are a good person, if you're religious, if you have memorized scriptures, if you've 
do the things you're supposed to do, if you behave the way you were supposed to behave this week, that you would be worthy of, of the cup. But that's not what Scripture teaches, that none of us are worthy of Jesus, that he laid down his life for us. So you, you are worthy of his sacrifice through humility. You're worthy of it, a new life, a relationship with him. When you stop trying to be the boss of your own life, the Bible says when you humble yourself before God that he'll lift you up. So the first step is always humility. And when you humble yourself before God, there you are able to partake in the cup and in the bread. And what do they represent? Well, the bread represents his body. That was beat for us. The Bible says by the stripes that he took for us, that we are healed. Healed physically, healed mentally, healed emotionally. And we can live a life of fullness, of freedom. And then we take the, the juice, the wine together. And when we take the juice, it represents the blood of the new covenant. Jesus said on the cross, it's finished. What did, what did he mean? Well, up to that point, you constantly were working, constantly working, constantly working, constantly working, constantly wondering if you did enough. God gave the law to, to people long ago, but he didn't give the law for them to, to attain to. He gave it to point out their need for a savior. So what he was trying to say is you can't ever get back to me. So through the sacrifice of Jesus, I'll get to you. So Jesus told his, his followers on that last night when he did communion, he said, every time you take this, I want you to remember me. I want you to focus your eyes, your attention, your affections on, on me. So we're going to do that. But for some of you, you're not worthy of taking the cup because you never received the sacrifice. And here's the cool thing. You don't got to come to church for a bunch of weeks and go to class and clean yourself up and start saying the right things and become a religious person. You got to do what all of us have done in this place. I can't live this life anymore the way that I'm living. I know that I need a savior. Jesus, I believe in the work that you accomplished on that cross. And so from this day forward, I'm going to put my life in your hands. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart in that message, Jesus came, died on a cross for your sins, was placed in a tomb, and on the third day he rose in power. Some days later he ascended to the throne to the right hand of God, and the Bible says that he intercedes for us to come home. That's how you're worthy of the cup. Jesus Christ, would you be my Lord and my Savior? So before we take communion together, all over this house and in Montgomeryville, I don't know Jesus Christ, but I need to. I don't know that sacrifice. I don't know that grace. I don't live in freedom. I'm trying to be my own boss in control of my own life, but I'm tired of that. The Bible says if you're weary and heavy laden, come to Jesus, he'll give you rest. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. There's a God that loves you more than you can imagine and he wants to have a relationship with you. It's not about religion, it's about a relationship. He wants you to know him, and he wants you to know that he knows you better than you know yourself. He has a good plan. I love that song. He has a good plan for your life. He has purpose for your life. He has promises for your life. You're not an accident. That all happens when you realize who Jesus is and what he did for you. Jesus Christ, be the Lord of my life. If you're in this place, you don't know him. If you're in Montgomeryville, and you don't know him before we take communion together, every head bowed and every eye closed, you say, you know what? That's me. That's me. What he did for me on that cross, I need that. I want Jesus to be my Lord and my Savior right here in this moment. If that's you all over this place, I want to pray with you as we close. I want you to do something for me, though. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I don't know Jesus Christ, but I need to. I need to know him. I need to have a relationship with him. I need to walk with him. I need to talk with him. I need freedom. I need grace. I need mercy. If that's you all over this place, front to back, side to side, I don't know Jesus Christ, but I need to. Would you just unashamedly shoot your hand straight towards heaven and say, hey, that's me. I don't know Jesus Christ, but I need to. I need him to heal me, forgive me, and make me whole. There's a hand here, hand here. Is there anybody else? Hand back here. If you're in Montgomeryville, would you just keep your hand held high all over this house? Would you pray with me? Say, Jesus Christ. Thank you for this day. Thank you for meeting us here. Today, Jesus, 
be my Lord and my Savior. I put my life in your hands. Because of you, I'm a new person. From this day forward, I'm going to follow you. And Lord, all over this place, as we, we celebrate that, Lord, there's a simple prayer. The Bible says, confess and believe. Now we focus on you. All over this house and in Montgomeryville, can you just rip open the top of that communion if you have, haven't? Can you take the top off of the, the juice? I just want you to hold the, the bread for a second with your head bowed and your eyes closed. And I want you to think about Jesus. See him. Here's what I found. Uh, I've done communion so many times. Sometimes it's hard for me to walk my way through this religious activity back to the cross. So I just want you to see him. See his body. Broken, beat, whipped, nailed, crown of thorns. Even physically taking um, people's spit, their mockery. And he did it for us. He did it for you. So in your own words, why don't you just right there, just, just begin to speak to him. Just, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for what this, this bread represents. It represents your body. I love the promise. By your stripes, we're healed. Lord, you've healed us, many of us physically. You've healed many of us emotionally. You've healed those that know us spiritually. Lord, we live a full life because of what you did for us on the cross because you laid down your life. That's what the Bible says, that you're a true friend that was willing to lay down your life for us even while we were still in sin. So we thank you, Jesus. Let's eat the bread. And I want you to hold the, the cup and I want you to think about the new covenant. Every other religion in the world, it starts with uh, you did. What did you do? What do you got to do? What do you, what do you got to say? What do you, where do you got to go? How many times do you have to pray? It's you, 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 but this cup represents him. What Jesus did for us, that he poured out his blood for us, that his blood was an atoning sacrifice for our sins, that it paid our debt in full. That Jesus, through your blood, that you've forgiven our sins, the Bible says, as far as the east is from the west. And so we are no longer carrying around the burdens of our past. The Bible says you've forgotten them through your victory on that cross. So that as we take this, this juice together, it represents that new covenant, that we're new people living in the grace of God, in the mercy of God of God. And the Bible says where sin has increased in our life, that grace has increased even more. And so we don't carry shame and condemnation into this place, that we're free people. In the name of Jesus, would you take the cup with me? Now as the band comes forward at both of our campuses, we're going to do something special. We're going to ask our prayer partners to come forward on each side. And so if you're You've been asked to pray for people. Can you start to make your way up uh, to the left and the right? And uh, when they start playing, you got something you want to pray for, they're going to be up here. We'll stay up here as long as we, we, we need to. Like the, the next service, we'll just lock them out. And uh, we're just going to pray for people. Anything, whatever you're going through. I know some of you, it's like way out of your, your church comfort zone because you don't do that, but it's very biblical. Lay hands on one another. Pray for one another. Or two or more gathered, you take it to God. Pray without ceasing, the Bible says. I mean, over and over and over again, we're told about the power of prayer. And here's the cool thing about prayer. Uh, prayer is built on your ability to trust God. So what I was trying to tell you when you weren't listening in the beginning is uh, God is already into your tomorrows. Did you know that? He, al he already has a plan. 
He already knows what he's going to do. And so when you lay it at his feet, what you're saying is, God, I know that you're in control. And God, I'm going to trust you with this. And I'm going to believe that you have good in store for my life. And we know that's true because of what he was willing, what, what did we just celebrate? What he was willing to do for us on that cross 2,000 years ago. So as they, as they play, uh, we're going to pray both of our campuses. Make your way forward. If you don't have anything to pray for, you can, you can just stand here and worship. Some of you have something private you want to pray for. Some of those powerful moments of my life in my church, uh, in my church upbringing where I spun around at my seat. And I didn't care who was behind me. And I just made my seat an altar. And you just pray. You just ask God for help. Some of you stand by somebody and they don't even know what you're going through. Maybe you just grab their hand and say, can you come up and, and pray with me? We just want to turn this place into a house of prayer. That's what it's designed to be. Amen. Let's worship together. Thank you for taking a few minutes out of your day to listen to our podcast. If you decided to give your life to Jesus after hearing this message or want to learn more about how you can join us in person, visit jrny.church for more resources or to find a location near you. Have a great rest of your day.